Welcome to the Knife Journal Podcast. This is take three, yes people, three, of episode number 85, our Halloween show. So and it's, we, <laughs> the, ghost, the ghosts are fucking with us. Yeah, so we actually <laughs> had a full hour awesome podcast recorded, except Jim didn't. Shame! Um, <laughs> same yeah. old story, frickin' Mac. Um, yeah, exactly. So, uh... Shame! So Mac sucks shit! Right along with Windows. <laughs> well, they all do. All computers have issues. I always, always try to say, remind people every time somebody's like, "Oh, you should get a," you know. It's like they all eventually have their issues. Anyway, we will jump right into it. Um, knife news. What's new in the knife world? Well, what was new about an hour ago isn't so new anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, um, the Barong. The Bark River Barong has got everybody excited. Yep. Uh, we were. I was up the Bark River last week, and I saw the um, uh, the buckets of Barong that had just come back from Heat Treat, and uh, uh, were going to be. I don't remember. They're they're on the list to be to be made, and um, we were laughing about them because you know how Mike runs those banks of of um, grinders. Well, he had. I don't think we were laughing because I said, I don't think you can use all the grinders in the process of doing these. I said, because you'd be bumping the guy next to you. Yeah. You know, so uh, that's kind of one of those things that's going on. They uh, trying to figure out how they're going to grind them and buff them too. And, and buff them. Yeah. There's only a foot of space between the buffer wheel and the motor and base stand. Yeah. Yep. But uh, yeah. So you'd be, you'd be like running a, both. Well, you have to take one of the buffers off, I think, so that you don't hit both of them. Well, actually, you could probably start on one end and go all the way across. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, get, get it'll both be, wheels. It is a ch- it is a challenge to to grind and uh, finish blades that are a little bit longer, and that's one of the reasons they're probably more expensive. It's also a challenge Some to grind dangerous. and finish small blades, really small yeah, it's, stuff. It's dangerous. Yeah. When you got a blade that size, it's dangerous. You can hook it when you're not even realizing you're hooking it into something. How how uh, thick is the steel on those? I don't even remember now, to be honest. I think a quarter inch. Jeez. I mean, they're they're ma- they're pretty massive. They're well, it was <clears throat> it was easier to actually put them on a on a car and go to get to heat treat. Than it was to ship them, because they got there's so many you got to ship them by truck. Yeah, and there was there's you know it was a six hour drive and it's cheaper to pay somebody six hours to drive them down and bring them back than it was to truck them. Yeah, because you're you're talking a pallet. Yeah, you know that's that's yeah. how much that's going to weigh and yep. how bulky it is. But um, they look a lot like the stuff I've seen in country, and those were all made out of like leaf springs. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I mean, they make different thicknesses of leaf springs, but the truck leaf springs that everybody seems to be using down there are pretty thick. You know, so it'll be, I'm actually interested to see one of those in action. Yeah. Yeah. So you, so you'll, um, it'll be a good compliment to the, to the compact forest. Yeah. So, um, 
Jim released the uh, compact forest, and so he's got the regular forest knife and then the compact forest. And I like, I have both of them. I actually bought with my own money the uh, compact forest from Knives Ship Free. I got the red micarta handled one. Um, but I uh, personally prefer a little bit shorter blade uh, and a little bit, you know, just because I don't really need like some big beastly blade most of the time. And if I do need it, I'll have a parang or an axe. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that that's a home run. The the handle on that is better for me. Yeah. It's a yeah. little bit What's shorter it, handle. It's interesting. I've been carrying both of them. and I, I like the bigger one personally but it's just me yeah um and it's not the blade length it's it's the handle seems to fit my hand a little better but if i i may even do a version where the handle is of the forest size with a short blade see the the compact forest we actually scaled everything down um yeah i i think the blade is like is like 80 percent and the handle is like 90 percent of yeah. the forest and i think what I wouldn't mind doing would be do the handle size of the forest with a shorter blade. Um, yeah, the, the handle size for me on the forest was a little long. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but that's just, you know, me. But, but there's, you know there's what? guys but out listen, there with these huge paws. Yeah. But, I have, but you know I have what? like, statistically very average hands. I have my glove size in surgery is a seven and a half, and that's what the average male has, you know. Um. But there are guys with like these monster hands that would would just swallow up the compact, but the, yeah. the, the but regular one would be a good fit for them. What's interesting about it though is I've been using a compact. I get my 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 forest knives. Both of my forest knives right now are at with somebody getting videos done, okay. and um, they're they're using them for. Uh, um, Getting root crops ready for the sand. Oh yeah, these uh, ladies. Yeah, and so they're playing with them, and uh, it'll be kind of interesting because they have a. I think they have a compact and two, of uh, two of the full size or the forest ones. Okay. And uh, so because they have mine, and then they have the other, uh, the other size. Uh -huh. And so I've been carrying around a compact lately, and I'll tell you, I. I like it real well. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to discount it too much. It was, the first knives that I handled, our prototyping process is, is we use um, 3D uh, printing. Mm -hmm. And uh, the 3D printing, you get a, you get a, a feeling for how the handle's going to feel in your hand, how it's going to fit, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But you don't really have a sense of the weight and the, you don't, you can't actually use it because it's plastic. Yeah. And, um. Uh, so we're wrestling with, uh, you know, the whole prototyping process, you know, we're, we're, we're doing a little bit of, of, um, making them by, you know, basically making a, a handmade version of the prototype and then the, the, the 3d version of it. Yeah. And, uh, so we're kind of wrestling back and forth with what's the better way to do it. And it's a lot of the knife designs, um, the blade part of it, you know, is going to work. Yeah, uh, it, it's just a matter of how it how well it fits in the hand when you're doing it. And if you've got, you know, some of the designs are are basically knives that we're already familiar with, knives that we've already done, um, and we're just putting them into production. Uh, you don't really need to do a hard prototype of it. 
because you've already got that. Yeah, because you sure. you already know all the different parts work. Yeah, you just need to have a have a have a, a three D one so you know how the parts fit together. So, um, but the when we first did the the compact, I held it in my hand and I was like, yeah, it's okay if you got smaller hands than me. Um, maybe a, maybe a lady might like this a little more. But then I started using it and I was like, you know what? This is I underestimated this quite a bit i would you know i would not feel under knife with it um yeah you know, honestly you, you know, it's, it's 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 a very comfortable it's a very comfortable knife yeah and it's everything you need really i mean because if you need a bigger knife than that um you know you're probably going to have a bigger knife with you like an axe or uh or something like that um it'll be interesting since they're processing root vegetables to see what their take is on uh the Scandi grind with um, food prep, um, because when whenever I've used like a mora or something to cut a harder root vegetable, like a carrot or something, right, um, it'll like spring across the room. But I think that is due not because it's a Scandi grind, but because you know you have your twelve and a half degree bevel, and then at the top it's a it's a sharp edge, straight to flat, and I think that pops. Just hitting that edge pops it out, and the the way those blades are finished um, at Bark River, I that sharp angle there is blunted just a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's it's not the edge that's causing the problem; it's where the edge meets the rest of the blade that is the problem. Right. So, right. be interesting to see what wh- whether they were able to like that, and also the other issue with that knife. That we've talked about before is this is an adult knife, um, right? Because there is nothing preventing your hand from traveling onto the blade, nothing at all, um, and uh, there's no guard on it. But there, you know, Morris says you don't need a guard unless you right. are well, <clears throat> stabbing. With you know, it. in this, in the Scandinavian countries, they the children are given knives at a very young age. Uh-huh. And they have they have a ribbon guard on them, mm-hmm. and there's kind of like a rite of passage for a kid. Uh, there they break the guard off mm-hmm. for for the uh, uh, when you basically be, kind of graduate into adulthood. Right. So so when I say this is an adult knife, I mean I'm not I'm not trying to be facetious about it. It, it truly would be not one that you would hand to a little kid because they are not quite prepared for it and. Um, you know, when you use a knife as an adult, you know, you use, you know, it's interesting. I, last weekend I got together with a couple different knife makers up and, um, we had, uh, uh, Brian Efros. Um, if you've not met him or seen his work, uh, does really beautiful stuff. Um, he's a uh, custom, he, he's going to be going, you, do you know him? Uh, Brian, Brian, I am not positive. I do. Okay. So he's probably going to go camping with us in the next couple weeks. Nice, oh, real nice, real nice guy. Uh-huh. Uh, moved back to Michigan from, uh, Colorado and spent some time out in Colorado. And, um, he's got an, he's got an interesting take on, on knives and he has a, uh, he had one of he was playing with one of my force my compacts last week, and he's a big guy. I mean, he's half again my size, and uh, he basically 
was carving a. He has these little. He has this thing where he gives these little uh, bears out to people that he knows that buy a house, and um, so he carves a little bear and you know hands him out. And so he was in some of the downtime. He was playing with that, and and he was. He basically says, you know, I can make any knife I want, and. He says, and I find myself wanting this knife. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's 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 kind of the the take that I had on it. If I'm going to buy a fixed blade, it's something that uh, it has to really really jump out. And I I spent my own money on that forest knife. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's the only only time I'm going to buy a fixed blade is. Um, is, is a situation like that, or if, if it has some features yeah. that I can't currently do. Right. Yeah. And and so, you know, like I said, it's gotten uh, a lot of knife makers were, were playing with it and going, you know what, this is really freaking nice design. Nice, clean, you know, no-nonsense, freaking get-the-job-done design. Yeah. And, you know, it's and that's good. I like to get feedback like that from other knife makers, too. Yep. Um. Let's see. So, so my shop is up and running again. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, the first ones I'm I'm right now I'm finishing stuff that I started in Iowa but didn't handle uh, and didn't didn't finish yet. And so the first ones I'm doing I made uh, there are six uh, total ex- no yeah six total expedition knives in existence. The double O model is mine. Number one went to Mickey Grossman. Uh, number two is going to go to Eldridge. Number three is warped, and I have to fix that, redo the heat treat on it, and try to bring that warp out of it. Number four is going to uh, Jared, and number five is going to an active duty Marine. That's a uh, uh, his dad is a friend of mine. Is uh, I've done. A, he's a bassist, but then he also does sound, and he's done a lot of the sound for like big festivals and concerts that I've played in. Mm-hmm. So, uh, those were all sold and spoken for when they were still a pencil drawing on a cocktail napkin, basically. Um, cool. Yeah. Cool. But uh, I was initially planning to not send them out with sheaths, just because I'm sick of the whole sheath thing. But so what I did instead is I bought four of those uh, Spec Ops sheaths that will fit them. Mm-hmm. I, I actually do like that spec ops sheath a lot, and so oh, I'm yeah. just going to send them out with those. Cool. And, and then people can either – the cool thing about the spec ops sheath is that you can use it for a bunch of different kinds of knives. And uh, so if they don't like the sheath and they want to upgrade to a custom sheath, they can, and then they'll still have the the other uh, sheath besides. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, as part of my shop upgrades um, – in the next couple of weeks, the uh, gas company is going to come out and run a uh, line from my propane tank into my forge. Uh, and then the other Ooh, thing is... Why don't you just have it a separate tank? Uh, be- I, I've done that. The problem is is that if you have it on for a long time and it's a smaller volume tank, the tank freezes. Oh, no, no, no. I would say put another tank out if you want to do that, but have it separate from your house tank. Yeah, well, I mean, the house tank is huge, so I don't think it's really going to be much of an issue. And plus, um, if I'm using the forge, I'm just going to be doing, like, one knife at a time. Okay. 
Um, and so it's not really going to take too much of a dent out of our uh, propane tank. Uh, the other thing, other upgrade I'm doing is uh, I was on the Even Heat um, website looking for a heat treat oven, and I settled on the KF22, so the 22-inch uh, heat treating oven with the uh, Ramp Master Controls. And so I was looking for a vendor, and I came across Tim Zawada's website. Yeah, I had I had no idea he was so selling them, and the last time I looked for his website, it didn't exist. So yeah, everybody, it's tzknives.com, and that's who I ordered my heat treat oven from. Yeah, uh, he just um, he just revamped his whole his whole uh, website. It looks good. It's it's like a WordPress site, like what you and I made. Yeah, you know, yeah. He did a good job on it. That's um. It's very modernized and it looks really good. Uh, he, um, so if you guys don't know, he makes knives and razors, and he does he makes his own steel from like meteors and all this. Uh, it's really cool. Um, let's see. So you, oh, I need so you a, didn't buy the you didn't buy the salt bath kiln. No, right? I bought the I just brought an uh, uh, electric kiln that runs off 240. Yeah. Uh, but what I do need to figure out is the magic heat treat protocol for O1 tool steel because they're not all created equal. Right. You know, and, and the other thing is is that you have to be able to modify your heat treat protocol based on what you've done. If it's just stock removal, that's one thing. But if you've forged it and had multiple heatings and all those sorts of things, then you kind of have to change your um, protocol to relax um, stresses in the knife and and other things like this so you don't get don't get cracking and whatnot so always open to suggestions on a good heat treat protocol the best one i know of right now is made by uh, tm hunt and that's why he's done all of my o1 tool steel <clears throat> up to this point um yeah you might want to talk to tim one we let's uh next time you come up here what we should do is go over there yeah he's invited go, us go, to go do pay a, a visit oh yeah well like that friday the 13th of November uh, when I'm done with clinic maybe we could sneak down because he lives by Boyne doesn't he yeah he lives right around the corner from me oh okay yeah he lives not very far from us at all okay so yeah I, we should try to see if he's available for a uh, a quick on-site podcast yeah 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 that'd be great um, that would be great other um, gear news our friend Owens uh, oh yeah Put up a Facebook page for those fantastic hoodies, and I will give it out here. Uh, let's see. So tell tell about the hoodies while I find so, it real quick. Yeah. So I get a uh, one of my customers picked up a forest knife, and we you know it's apparently the uh, there's that the bushcraft craze thing that comes and goes. You know, people come in and out of it. You know, they 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 go into it whole hog, and then take out of it what they desire and and then they don't call it bushcraft anymore <laughs> and probably what yeah probably what happened is they uh got wolf packed on a certain internet forum yeah, filled with yeah. ass hats but yeah. you don't have to go into that yeah um, they um so he so uh, basically what he wanted to know was he had seen pictures of us uh with the uh uh with that wool uh, anorak on and um, wool hoodie, whatever you want to call it. 
I guess you call it a wool hoodie if you're not a bushcraft guy. If you're an if you're a if you're a uh, bushcraft guy, you call it an anor wool anorak. Right. But anyways, they um so so Justin makes uh the one that we wear that we love a lot, and uh, he wanted to know what it was and basically how do I get one, and I basically gave him all the information and I had contacted Justin to see if they were when they were making them again. Or if they were still making them, and uh, he said, "Well, it was in the summertime, and he had hadn't thought about it much." But then he basically started uh, um, started them up, so now he's uh, taking orders again. Yep. So if you're interested, uh, you can search on Facebook for Hoodlore Outdoor Wear, H O O D L O R E Outdoor Wear. Or you can go directly to the URL, uh, facebook.com forward slash Owens Custom Hoodies, and check out the stuff. The real special thing that I like about these hoodies is that uh, the attention to detail, like all the stitching is like really, really nice patterned stitching. Uh, the design is great. It's loose enough that you can have other layers on underneath, like say you're out and you've got your uh, Gore-Tex shell on, and you want to go around the campfire, uh, you can just slide this hoodie on over the top and protect all of your fancy, nice gear. And you won't catch on fire. Right. Um, so uh, check it out. Good stuff. Uh, Jim and I both bought them at PWIP. Yeah. Everyone yep. who has seen these things has loved them, and yep. they covet them. Yeah, they're um, very nice. Very nicely done. Yep. Um, let's see. Bussy news. Actually, you know what? Uh, Bussy, yeah, put... as we talked about a couple weeks ago on the podcast, they're doing uh, s. They're doing every two weeks, every Wednesday, uh, every other Wednesday, they're releasing a new model in that SR101 steel. So they're a little bit cheaper. Mm -hmm. And the current one... Uh, is this battle saw thing that I didn't bite on because it's just not my kind of a deal. Um, but right. They're, right. they apparently sold all of them, and so it'll be interesting to see what the next one is. Right. Uh, what else do we know news-wise? Um, you know, I, I don't know if I should even bring this up, but one of the things I was I saw recently on Facebook, I saw a maker blow up. Do because tell. what's that? Do tell. Well, it's it was kind of I'm not going to say any names, but he actually he actually called out the uh, one of the dealers, and he basically was pissed off because he thought he had a deal with a with a particular dealer to buy a bunch of his knives, and on further look at his quality and his uh, designs, he didn't really see them fitting into his dealer line. So, you know, he kind of backed away from the deal. And whether or not they really had a deal, maybe it was a misunderstanding or something like that. But the guy called him right out on, on Facebook, and I thought that was kind of kind of, kind of crappy, actually. And uh, Is this somebody you know, for, I know? I, I doubt it. Okay. I doubt it. Never I doubt mind, it. Then. And it, and it was yeah. And the guy is a, the guy's a um, he's an interesting fella. And but like I said, he's got some he's got some designs that are, you know, there's custom makers for a reason. And sometimes 
if you're a custom maker and you love to make knives and you, but your stuff isn't quite ready for mass appeal yet um, don't be surprised when a dealer that needs to sell you know a couple hundred of them to make money on them will is not that interested in committing to a couple hundred of them uh-huh. because he because he looks at him he doesn't think he can sell them yeah you know and it's real easy to sell one or two knives oh yeah I mean on the internet it's very very simple to sell one or two knives but selling 300 of them is a whole different level of of commitment and ability yep and because the knives that you sell are not being bought because we love you they're being bought because the designs are clean and and they look nice and they're well put together and they're you know and I think that there's this uh there's this notion that if you make you know if you make 10 knives and you sell them that you know that's i mean if if it takes you i, I don't even know how to say this actually but you got a lot of makers that will make you know they're 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 hobbyists they're not not making a ton of knives like me yeah i'm i'm a hobbyist more or less Maybe an advanced and, hobbyist, but still, I have no interest in making right, a billion right. dollars uh, and selling 5,000 knives that I have to stand out there all day and make. Right. And I, I, don't even yeah. know, I don't even know if I would put you in this category, but there's guys that are trying to make a living doing this. Yeah. And they, um, they've, been, they've been pushed along by uh, a few people that are buying every one of their knives and basically say, you know, because there's like, I've always said there's an ass for every seat. Uh-huh. You know, there's always going to be somebody that wants to buy your stuff. But, uh, but like I said, selling a couple hundred of them is a whole nother, is a whole nother level. Um, because you need to find a lot of people that like your stuff that can afford your stuff. Yeah. And, and that's not always as easy as it sounds. Yeah. Um, so, so this maker has a particular style that isn't necessarily liked by everybody, and the dealer that he was talking to basically saw that and said, "You know what? It, it's it's going to take a long time for me to turn my my investment." And as much as I love knives, um, I still got to make a living. <laughs> and so, so the maker got all pissed off, and uh, you know, basically called him out on Facebook. And I, you know, as a as somebody in the knife industry, don't burn bridges. Exactly, exactly. There's no, there's no nothing good that can come from it, because as a maker, you might come up with a design that that will sell in the thousands, because that's what they're looking at. They're not looking at selling the hundred. They're looking at selling the thousand and the reordering of them. Yeah, and uh, and so you you need to have a design that w- that has mass appeal, not a onesie twosie des- design that only will appeal to one or two people. Maybe if you like it, doesn't necessarily mean the rest of the world's going to like it. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot of knives that I like that were that were stinkers. Yeah, you know, Gerber discontinued some of my favorite knives. Why? Because they were stinkers and they couldn't make any money at it. Yeah. And so look to look to some of those designs that were big sellers. 
You know, I'm not saying copy them, but I'm saying look to them and look at, examine them. Look at why that they were, why that they appeal to the masses, you know. And if you want to keep your, your artistic integrity, sell one or two of them. Yeah. And that's fine. Get to the point where you can find somebody that will buy them and pay you for what your time is worth. Yeah. You know, because I think that that's a, that's a big problem with a lot of makers is they don't realize that that their uh, that their time is worth is worth money, you know, and they'll work on a knife for two weeks and sell it for four hundred bucks. Yeah, and that's just crazy, you know. Yeah. That, that, I've seen some of the stuff that people are making that's just gorgeous that would take forever to make, and then you yeah, can they buy don't, it for like five hundred bucks. It's like yeah, they don't crazy. they don't know how to price it. They don't know yeah. how to price it. Well, they don't think that somebody <clears throat> will pay it, and they might be right. You well, know? might be, might be. Then they ought to get in a different line of work or get a job and do that as a hobby. Yeah, like I have. I mean, I mean, I mean, there's, there's a, there's some realities in this in this knife making business that people need to address. Mm-hmm. One of them is, um, you need to get paid for your time. Mm-hmm. You know, because that's the most important. I mean, in a, in an artistic sense, that is the most important. Uh, I mean, you're the reason why we're buying a knife. And uh, if you can't make a living on selling, you know, investing two weeks of time into a knife and then selling it for 400 bucks, um, you need to be like living in a cave somewhere. But if you've got a family with an electric bill, uh, you, you obviously can't do that. Yeah. You need to be, you need to either be, have a trust fund have a wife that's got an extremely good job. I mean, this, these are realities here. I'm not trying to, you know, not trying to scare anybody off, but you need to, you need to have a source of income that your fa- that can support your family. Well, and that's consistent. That's consistent. Yeah. 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 And if you, um, if you make 10 knives and you go to the blade show or you go to a show and you can't make enough money to pay your table and your gas money, you might consider either a different design or uh, a different method of, of making them and or a different line of work. Yeah. Well, you know, the, kind of the kind of the approach that I'm taking now, um, I absolutely cannot stand making the same knife over and over again. Right. And I have never approached this as anything more than I really enjoy making stuff out of metal and I really like it when people get something of mine that they really love and treasure um and so I I after I finish up these batch Iowa knives I'm not doing batches anymore you know and if somebody you know like the imp um enough people want that I get emails every day from like four or five people. Hey, will you make me an imp? And sorry, like you should have bought them when they were available. Like I'm not doing that design anymore. Uh, I have kind of tentative plans to uh, farm that out. But again, when I farm it out, I have to come up with a big chunk of capital to do that. And it's, I look at it as, do I want to plunk down eight grand for a hundred knives or would I rather, you know, that I will, will make good money on, but then I have to deal with shipping and what if somebody doesn't like one of them and all these sorts of things. 
Or would I rather take that eight grand and put it into something that's earning interest where I don't have to do any work? You know, that's that's kind of the way I look at it. So the approach I'm going to do in the future after I finish up these batch knives is I'm going to do one knife at a time. I'm going to put it up on the website. If people buy it, like it, great. Um, there's going to be one of them, though. One. Because uh, I'm not making it again. And uh, if they want it, great. If they don't, I'll donate it to someone. I'll donate mm-hmm. it to Knife Rights or I'll donate it to whatever drawing uh, if it doesn't sell. But I don't think I'll have that problem. Um, because every knife that I make, the longest that one has been in inventory is like on the order of maybe an hour or two. Yeah. And well, most of and, them, and most of them sell while they're still a pencil drawing on a cocktail napkin. Yeah. Like, like what I was saying, there's, there's, it's, it's fairly easy to sell five knives. Yeah. It's, it you takes know, nothing. It's, yeah, yeah. Your friends will buy five knives. Yeah. You know, basically. Yep. Um, it's a different story when you're trying to sell 300 of them. You know, yep. and and uh, the knife maker that uh, can sell three hundred of them, it's difficult for him to put together three hundred of them. Exactly. It's <laughs> <laughs> tell me about you know, it. <laughs> if you if you have a good design, it's very difficult to do everything it takes to do to put out three hundred of them. It's, it takes. I mean, you you're working your ass off. Yeah, I mean, like and the last year, I I think I sold on the order of sixty knives, and it took me all year to make those knives. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I don't have unlimited time where I can just go out there and it's, it's not a full-time job for me. Yep. But it's, you know, yep. I don't and know. As a, and as a maker, you, you got to come to grips with the fact that look, slab, slab sided, uh, slab sided full tang knives are really, really freaking easy to put together. Oh yeah. A lot, a lot of them. Um, and if you're not taking advantage of some of those manufacturing techniques that, that allow you to do a hundred of them in a batch, you know, I mean, you become assembly line worker yeah. and, and that's the, I think that's the rough part about being a knife maker that, that is very difficult. Um, I remember a long time ago, Tim Zawada telling me that he was so sick of making drop point hunters. It wasn't even funny. <laughs> he said, if I never made another drop point hunter in my life, I wouldn't, I would be happy. And I think that when you do gun and knife shows, what is it that people want to buy? Yeah, exactly. That's that's what they want to buy. They want to buy a hunting knife. With a you know, really nice handle on it. Yeah, with a nice handle on it. And uh and when you do um when you get to the point in time when you can get paid for what your time and your ability show, um you're talking about guys that are making, you know, like Tim that makes makes his own steel makes his own, uh, you know, we uh, uses meteorite and, and, uh, it makes Damascus. And when you get to that point in your career where you're anything you make, you can sell for $5,000 when it's done and you can make one of them a week, you know, I guess that, that, that you're okay with doing that. Yeah. You know, you can make a living doing that, but I tell you what, it's, it takes, it took Tim a long time to get there. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's still um it's you know, we all forget that it's it's uh you know, it's not brain surgery, but it still is it still is a business. Yep, and um 
you know, it, you have to have name recognition. Um, yep. Which is which is not hard to get. <laughs> right. You know, why don't you have your own podcast? You know, it's work. Right. Because it took us. Because we've already been working on this one for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> because of computer errors and stuff. But you know, like there's a lot of ways that you can get uh, name recognition without spending dollar number one. Right. Um, right. You can have a YouTube channel where you actually put up stuff that people want to watch. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, start your own knife podcast or whatever, you know, find something that you enjoy doing that will bring value to people. And, uh, you know, say your name every time you do it, you know. Um, yep. So, you know, I guess uh, we've we beat that one to death. Bark River Knives offers the best combination of ultra-modern CNC components and old-world craftsmanship. All Bark River Knives are hand-convex ground and sharpened to perfect cutting geometry for the task they are designed to perform. Bark River Knives are available through our authorized dealers. So what uh, you said you got a new you got a new hat. What kind oh, yeah. of hat is that? that you okay, have on? so Jim got a new hat and I got a new hat. Right before we recorded the last podcast, uh, it was cold out, and I stopped by a ski shop because I really really wanted to. Uh, I've got these Solomon two tens from like the nineties. They're like downhill racing skis, and I want to get new boots because my current boots are race boots and they're too stiff and the footbed doesn't work for me anymore so i'm going to get new boots and get them fitted well i was in the shop and it was cold out and i i didn't want to just walk in there and ask the guy for a bunch of information and all this and not buy anything because you know i feel i always feel like i'm wasting somebody's time so i went and i got this hat and it's basically it's a merino wool uh beanie um, but the innovative feature with this is it's wool, but then around the uh, brim on the inside, they've put uh, fleece so that you don't have the scratchy stuff on your ears and whatnot or on, on your forehead. Uh, and the name of the company that puts these out is Turtle Fur. So uh, I've been wearing this one quite a bit because it is getting a little colder out. Um, what'd you get? Uh, I got a, a new Stormy Cromer hat. That is, it's like a wool six-panel baseball cap. Yep. And, and it's all, it's wool and it's got a liner in it, nice little liner in it, but it's a li- it's light, you know. Mm-hmm. And me, you know, because I got a bald head, my head gets cold all the time and and, uh, and basically you lose, what, 90% of your heat out of your head? Mm-hmm. Is that, I well, mean, there's, there's a number a for it. It's, yeah, if you put a hat on, you're going to, you're preventing a, a huge, lot of heat loss. Who knows mm-hmm. what that number is, but it's a big yeah. difference. Yep, yep. And so you'll find me wearing hats all the time, and and uh, I, Kathy actually got this for me, and I really like it. It's a, it's made in Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, for one thing, and um, it's it's wool, and um, the company's been around since 1903. 
that's a magic number for me. I love 1903. And um, the uh, and I don't know. People know that I wear Stormies in the wintertime, Stormy Chromers. Mm-hmm. They have uh, the funny ear flaps, and they, they're short-brimmed. And I actually have one that is uh, oil cloth that I like real well. Mm-hmm. And, and it's all for different stages of coldness. You know, I've got this, and this one kind of fills a gap for, you know, it's chilly enough outside that, uh, but I don't need ear flaps. Yeah. You know, so I really, really like it. It's really well put together. And, uh, you know, check them out. They're maybe a little bit on the pricey side, but remember, they're made in, they're made in the USA. And I mean, they're very good quality. So yeah, the, the guy they're very that, high quality. Yeah, the guy that turned me on to uh, Stormy Chromers is actually our man in the field. Yeah. And so yeah, I've, yeah. I've had a Stormy Chromer since like the early 2000s, I want to say, because he always yeah. has one of those in the fall. Um. But uh, yeah, very cool. Yeah, um, uh, they're pretty trendy in Michigan. You see a lot of people wearing them. Yeah, um, yeah. And hipsters have discovered them, which is unfortunate. Uh, I, I I ran I, I ran into a hipster the other day, and uh, Kathy and I went had gone out to eat, and uh, there was a hipster in the in the hallway that it like the entrance way to the to the restaurant. Uh-huh. As we were leaving, he was standing there. And when I walked, as I was walking past him, um, he was kind of standing in the doorway in the way. And he backed up like he had seen a ghost when I was walking by. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, maybe it's the the art of manliness was just like, like, you can have a beard and you can have a flannel shirt. But it doesn't make you a man. Yeah, you can put the costume on. It doesn't mean you're Casper the Friendly Ghost. <laughs> <laughs> but it was funny. So we walked we walked by him, and he was like, like, got scared. <laughs> like, like, and I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't doing anything. I was just walking, you know. And uh, walked out, and Kathy said to me, what the hell did you, did you look at that guy cross? Or why was he, do, why did you, why was he so scared? Huh. And I was like, I, I have no idea. Maybe he said, thought he, you were G. Gordon Liddy and he was starstruck. Well, that could be too. That could be too. <laughs> but it scared, it scared the shit out of him. Whatever, whatever. It lo- he looked like he had seen a ghost. And so I don't know. I It just kind of cracks me up that. Uh, and the whole skinny jeans thing, I I still can't get my head wrapped around that. Well, I, I, I get um, having jeans that fit well. You know, like, uh, um, but what I don't get is when they taper um from you know wider at the calf and then down to like nothing at the ankle because like they won't or wider at the thigh and then they taper down to like nothing because i cannot my calves won't squeeze into something how, like that how do they put their running. ankle holster on yeah i don't think that's an issue <laughs> i think they carry <laughs> it in their purse <laughs> no, that was mean i'm yeah. sorry hipsters yeah, people uh, call I, uh, us hipsters. You know that, right? Oh fuck! I'm not a hipster. There's no fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's no fucking way I'm a hipster. Yeah. It just there's so no happens way. that hipsters have are slowly discovering a lot of the things that we like. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not a hipster. There's no. There's no <laughs> part of me that's a hipster. One thing, I don't have a beard. N- yeah, me neither. No, I don't have a beard. I uh, although I should grow one. 
it's it's kind of funny because a lot of the guys up here grow beards in the wintertime. Yeah. Big old bushy beards, you know, in the wintertime. And it's, I mean, it's just something that they've been doing forever and ever, amen. Yeah. So when you talk to one of these guys that, you know, they don't even have internet. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of my neighbors and a lot of guys that I, that I hang around with up here, they don't even, like, they don't even go, you what? You two, you, you who? Yeah. I remember you who soda. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, yeah, I don't even know what that is. I, I don't, email, I don't know what email is. Yeah. <laughs> Facebook, Facebook is when you hit somebody in the face with a book. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so it's kind of funny to hear. When you start describing a hipster, they just kind of look at you. Well, they're, they're probably thinking back to the, there was a hipster uh, mentioned in the 1950s when the beatnik generation was coming up. So oh, yeah. So if you read any of those books like On the Road with Jack Kerouac, yeah. they talk about hipsters, but it, it, it's a very different thing yeah. than our yeah. modern version of it. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, yeah. They, Route 66, our, baby. Our, our hipsters, like, there's this big controversy in London right now uh, because uh, some shop opened up in a poor neighborhood, and all they do is sell bowls of cereal. And so you'll pay, like, $8 for a bowl of Captain Crunch or whatever. And so Shut the fuck up! Yeah. Are you serious? Yes. Yeah. Who that shit? They, uh, <laughs> like, so they have, like, all kinds of crazy breakfast cereals. And you can basically get whatever kind you want, and then you pay like $8. Well, so all these people have been protesting and like egging the shop and trying to burn it down and stuff because they are sick of hipsters like driving up rents and everything and gentrifying where they live. (laughs) Yeah, that's a big ongoing controversy. See, uh, my wife and I like to, uh, every once in a while, we'll do a Google News search for hipster. And that's been the big one lately. Is there's this cereal shop um, that that everybody's all fired up about. They've actually had big, huge like protest rallies and marches and stuff against that store. Uh, and their rarest is, of course, uh, like the Count Chocula and Booberry, which my my uh, closet is currently filled with that stuff because General Mills makes it, but they only make it for like one month a year. And my kids <laughs> love it. You know, so, um, and you pay, oh you God. pay a premium for the ones that are difficult to get, they say. Um, and they're going to franchise it. It's so successful. Like these hipsters love it. You know, they love the, that you go and pay like an outrageous amount of money for a bowl of cereal, like an ax from like, <laughs> from, from Condor that somebody paints the handle and calls it artisan. <laughs> they, they like paying a lot of money for stupid shit. Um, so this is like the perfect thing. Yeah. Uh, let's... I, I gotta tell you, I, I, uh, I don't understand it. I, I don't understand, but I, you know what? I, it's like a role playing thing. I think, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I tend to, I mean, that, they're like LARPers only Listen, without they the fucking, swords and dragons. They love Bernie Sanders. <laughs> okay, I mean, we're not going to... Okay, so actually we but should... seriously. We should quickly address something. Um, there are two very valid criticisms of the show that come up quite frequently. Um, valid criticism number one is that if you take away all of the non-knife talk, this is a 10-minute podcast. Shame. And uh, I'd say that's pretty accurate. Um point taken you know uh we 
We have lots of interests, and we talk about a lot of different subjects, uh, things that are interesting to us. Uh, they may not interest you. You may be bored by it. And if that's the case, uh, I'm really sorry that you didn't like your free podcast. Um, but if I'm not interested in something and Jim's not interested in something, we're just not going to talk about it. Um, because it's if I tried to you know, talk about like shoes like women's shoes. I have no interest in it. I would be bored oh, by it, and you would be bored as well. I like women's shoes. Will you check to see that you're still recording since you got up and walked around? Yeah. Uh, Jim has this issue where if he unplugs or plugs in his headphones, it stops recording, and it costs me hours of my life. Shame. So um, that's the thing. Now, uh, the other thing is, the other very valid criticism that people have is they don't like uh, when we talk about political stuff, which is why I've uh, taken to putting all of that stuff at the end of the show with a very good warning. Um, because, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily like it either. I don't like the way it makes me feel when I'm mad about something. Shame! So I, if, if a lot of times if I'm talking about something, it's because I want to troll Jim and get him fired up. Or it's something that I think, is historically important and that will live beyond um, beyond the immediacy of the podcast. You know, so I I tend to talk more about um, philosoph philosophical things rather than um, political things um, because I think the the phil philosophy behind it will be relevant long after we're gone and a thousand years from now when somebody finds uh, some old archived copy on the dark recesses of the internet of the knife journal podcast they even though they're not personally connected to the events they might you know recognize some of the sentiments so those are two very valid criticisms i'm not changing that we talk about other stuff than knives and we're still going to talk about politics occasionally, not every time, but I try to give warning for that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we we have a uh, we got syndicated. Did you know that? Yeah, I know. There's. I, I don't remember the name of the of the group, but they are they pull they're pulling all our podcasts and are putting it on their on their network. Yeah. So there's another way you can find us, but right now I currently forgot. Well, there's the there's if you if you Google for our thing, there's a lot of different ways now to get the podcast. A lot of these podcast services have picked up our podcast and are are every time we update our RSS feed, they shoot it out on their site as well. And and we didn't sign up for any of that. It's just the way it worked. Um, let's see another and I, non I got, and I got no complaints about that. That's you know, we want to we want to stretch out and change the world. <laughs> yeah, one knife <laughs> at a time. <laughs> one knife. <laughs> so here's one another uh, a non knife related topic, uh, but I want to involve the listeners on it. Uh, we, we we actually need some help. Okay, 
Gumball. Gumball. So Jim and I are forming a team to run the Michigan Gumball next August. And uh, if you don't know what that is, it's the Gumball Rally. And uh, it's there's a Gumball Rally organization, Gumball 3000, that's run out of Europe. And they run the big, huge, like, transcontinental events. But their entry fees are like 35,000 euros or 35,000 pounds or whatever they whatever currency they use. But um, that's the big famous one. But then there's an American version of it that the entry fees are a little bit more reasonable. And they're breaking it down state by state. So I think uh, it's not a car race, wink, wink. It's a rally. <laughs> and so you'll have like a, a few hundred cars show up. Uh, at point A and then they will drive to point B and once you get to point B you have a big party basically is what it is uh, and you know you'll see all kinds of cars you'll see vets um, uh, Cobras you'll see uh, Mustangs Porsches Mercedes BMWs just just about any kind of a fast car you can think of people take them there you know what though I see I on the website I see a uh, Le Car. Yeah, and so, a and a uh, a smart car. Yeah, so you know, different people will drive different cars. Usually, it's a pretty unusual car that shows up. You know, I think if you have one of those smart cars, they probably go in the trunk of something. Yeah, they just drive up in the in the back of a pickup and run run the rally that way. Um, <laughs> but you know, that's it's a, that's it's, a spare car, right? And and some people go to that with the intention of being the first one into the checkpoint, and other people go in just because they want to drive in a big convoy and have a uh, big party at um, the end at the end uh, I'm as so longtime listeners to the podcast will know what car I'm going to bring but I'm not going to say it to avoid alerting any of our fine gentlemen of the Michigan uh, state LEO uh, but uh, I'm gonna have some modifications done uh, and uh, we need spies. We need uh, there'll be uh, information that we need that I'll occasionally broadcast out the need for. The other thing we need is a team name. So if you guys could send uh, suggestions for a team name to uh, podcast at knifejournal.com, we'll probably just pick the best one of those and uh, run with it. And of course, give whoever sent it in credit. Uh, and I'm planning on podcasting from the rally, actually. <laughs> so you're going to hear a lot of crazy engine noise for that. Yeah, uh, that'll be fun. That'll be a, that. We'll have a lot of fun doing that. Yep. There's actually there's another one called the Snowdrift. Have you ever heard of that one? Yeah, I have. Um, and that's another rally that is done in the UP. Yeah, we might try to. We should enter that this year, the Snowdrift. Let me see if I can Google that. Uh, we could enter that this winter because I, the day I bought my uh, my car, I bought the world's best snow tires for it. <laughs> yeah, Snowdrift 2015. Yep. When is it? Uh, let me think. Well, here is. It says Jan. Oh, it's uh, 2016, January 29th and 30th. Yeah. That's a that's a weekend and it's supposed to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a it's a winter rally. We could either take your car or my jeep. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah. I think we should try to run that one as a start. 
run that. Um, the cool thing about the uh, gumball rally, though, is that uh, at periodic points across, along the way, you get a run around a track, so you can go as fast as you want and all that. Um, so in the in the same vein as as what we're talking about here, I do have an app to recommend for people. It's called Waze, W-A-Z-E. Uh, they were recently bought by Google, but um, if you if you use Google Maps on your smartphone, uh, you've probably seen where um, they'll give you like traffic updates and they'll um, occasionally even change your route based on what the traffic is doing. Well, all of that data comes from Waze. So if you're running Waze, it's, you're basically running Google Maps, but you send in little reports along the way. Um, so you report stuff like there's a dead skunk in the road, watch out, or there's a big pothole. Or the other thing, which is actually very valuable um, for people who are planning on doing a rally, is they report uh, speed traps and where the speed cameras are, red light cameras and stuff like that. And it pops up on your thing and it'll actually warn you when you're uh, coming across something like that. Um, so check that out. Uh, I'm told that a lot of the um, serious uh, cross-country rally drivers are using Waze in combination with uh, radar detector of choice and laser jammer of choice and uh, a police scanner. Um, the problem with the police scanner is you have to have the frequencies of everybody along the route, or otherwise it won't work. And uh, I've so this this race actually the snowdrift starts in in uh, in Atlanta, Michigan, which is south and east of me a little bit. Okay, but I'm trying to figure out where it goes to. Huh. Pretty exciting, actually. Yeah, we might have to run that. Yeah. Hey, actually, we need a team name for that then too. Um, good news is, is uh, I'm planning some some modifications to the unnamed vehicle, and uh, I've sent off my Valentine One for an upgrade. I've had it since I think 2006, and they've recently introduced some new technology. Back in 2006, I used to have to drive uh, several hours to go pick up an ER shift so that I could feed my family, and. Uh, a lot of times I wasn't the nicest boy, so I would go more than four miles an hour above the speed limit. And uh, the <laughs> Valentine 1 is good because it'll tell you whether there are police ahead of you, to the side of you, or behind you, how many there are, and what um, band they're using. And the updates that they've done recently are uh, a lot of cars now, including my car, are equipped with uh, warning sensors if somebody is in your blind spot or is approaching. Uh, it, like if you're, if I'm backing up and somebody is approaching and I can't see them, uh, it'll it'll alert me. Well, that is all done with K-band radar and it'll set off radar detectors. So Valentine One just introduced a uh, filter to take care of that. So mine is off at the factory being updated. Uh, anyway, that's, that's exciting. That'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. We'll yeah I think we'll have a lot of fun. And, and all that, uh, anything I'm else? Still, I'm still recording. Good. Anything else? Uh, what else did we, do we have some, we had a walking dead update. 
Oh yeah, uh, because it is. Uh, so they actually the Snowdrift Rally has a Facebook page, Snow, S N O Star Drift National Rally. So I just liked that. Okay, so Walking Dead update because it is Halloween. Mm-hmm. So I'm on season five, episode fourteen, and it appears our heroes have joined a community of people who have not been outside of their walls yet. Yeah. That's it. That's an interesting dynamic. It's people that have not uh, they have not had to deal with um, like tons of zombies. They don't have any experience. They don't have any uh, or very little experience, and they don't. They're just been have been kind of sequestered, uh-huh. I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting how they how it's actually similar to the human dynamic where you have groups of people that really do not, they don't want to fight. They don't know. And they don't know what's going on. They don't care to know what's going on. They, they want to live with their head in the sand. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, it's pretty interesting. They, they, they do a good job with that. They do a good job with that. And you, and being a man of action, I saw that. And actually my wife saw that too, where they we were like, the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, going through. Why would you do that? That's just about as stupid as it gets. You know, don't you realize how bad it is? It's funny. Yeah. So uh, the other thing I've noticed is that Daryl, I have not seen his uh, uh, bussy this season. So yeah, I wonder if they just didn't. Uh, didn't didn't renew didn't renew the license? Yeah, because those are <laughs> you, you gotta you gotta think that those are all paid product placements. Yeah, I don't I don't know if if uh, they're actually getting paid for it, but I know that they're. Uh, well, for one thing, where the hell would he find a bussy? Yeah, I mean he's scavenging. I mean that would be a, a show in itself. Just. The, the the many weapons and how they were acquired of these guys. Yeah. You know, because that's one thing that they're not focusing on at all, you know, where they're coming up with suppressors, where they're coming up with, uh, which, by the way, would be a smart move because apparently the gunshots, uh, you know, scare the zombies away. That's why they're mm-hmm. using knives and swords. Yep. But... <clears throat> Yeah, so that's that's that would be an interesting, uh, like a side episode or a or a little spinoff, sp- the Walking Dead special, where 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 we where we acquire our weapons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, what works and what doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because the, the, one of the other reasons I think it's a uh, it's a um, a paid product placement is is like. Who, how are they going to, I mean, how is a, a Hollywood producer going to know what the hell a bussy is? Right. You know, well, they're uh, just and, not, and, you know. And I, I, I think I've mentioned this before. When I had knife forms, I, uh, I was contacted quite a bit by different producers, different, different writers that were looking for a particular style of knife or, you know, and wanting, wanting some of my input. And I, I was very, um. I mean, if, if the if the show was kind of not going to be a uh, slasher type movie, um, I would I would be very uh, gracious and and offer up some makers to help them out. 
Uh Uh, If it was going to be something like a Friday the 13th where, you know, I was like, get one of these, uh, you know, Pakistani-made space-looking knives. Yeah. Klingon-looking knives, and you'll be fine with that. But (laughs) if it was something that was, you know, where the... the, uh, where the hero had a particular knife that it was going to use to save people and, and not be a, um, you know, or if it was just for gratuitous violence, that was a, you know, that went to a different maker. You know, it, I, I would offer up some, some makers to help them out. But if it was just simply for a, like a Friday, the 13th slasher movie, uh, a lot of times it was, a. You know, here, use this Pakistani blade, you'd be better off. <laughs> you know, something that looks funked up. Yeah. Something that didn't reflect the knife, the American knife industry. Yeah, I was good at that. Sweet. Well, I don't know much else. Uh, no. Political, we want to talk some political stuff, or not so much? Well, we can, the one thing is actually historical. Um, so actually people, this is your warning. Uh, it's been great having you. If you don't want to hear anything political, we're really probably not going to talk about anything else knife related, uh, after this. And we're not going to, and, and, and if you want to get a taste of our, uh, Ah. back that off, we have five emails or we have some emails to read. Okay. You're right. I forgot about that. That's when you redo the same thing five times. You think that. All of our material is always fresh, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've already read this once, uh, but I will definitely do it again. Um, okay, so I have uh, um, all right. Um, Okay, here's my first one. This is from the uh, the the, um, the subject line. It says, "Greetings from the Great Basin." He says, "Jim and Kyle, the podcast is great, and I'm listening to new episodes and from the start as well. Presently at episode 19, it's all gold." So when my little brother passed years ago, I inherited his Buckmaster. I made a light box to take a decent photo of it and send you, and I'm interested to know if you've ever had handled one of these and what you might know about it. And if you're, what are your thoughts on the grappling hook concept? I'd love to hear your scouting report on the pros and cons. Tell it how it is. I can take it. Keep up the fantastic job from Rich in Reno. Now, you know the Buckmaster. I know the Buckmaster. I like it. Um, I, yes, I, I, do I, I wanted one of those when I was a little kid because that was the highest quality uh, version of the Rambo knife that was on the market readily obtainable by me. Um, yep. But I never, it was more money than I had um, from mowing lawns, so I never never got <laughs> one. Yep. And they are, they are actually a complete machine blade. You know that's a they're pretty cool. Yeah, I, I've always I've always liked them. I I always thought that they have a, they have a very uh, nice status in the history of knife making. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, obviously they're not the first hollow handle knife. That honor goes to Case. Um, or maybe before that, there's some there's some people that believe that this knife was made in the eighteen the early eight or the late eighteen hundreds. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that or not, but uh, uh, a while back there was some stuff that was found. Uh, like I said, I don't know if it's true or not, but a, a European company had made a knife that looked very similar to a Buckmaster mm-hmm. uh, in like late like eighteen ninety. Hmm. Um, and you know what? I will get some information about that. We'll talk about that for the next podcast. But um, but you're right. It's always one of those knives that actually one of our friends had one, and he traded it off for something. He, he was missing the spikes, which you can get, still get the spikes for him. Huh. And uh, he didn't care for it so much, so he got rid of it. And I thought, yeah, that's. I, if I'd have known you were getting rid of it, I would have got. I would have. I would have traded you something for it. Because hmm. uh, I don't have one, and I like—I've always liked them. I always thought they were kind of cool looking. Um, wh- whether they were an excellent survival knife or not, you know, I—I I can't really speak to that because I don't—I uh, uh, don't have one, and I've not used one. So I'm, you know, but I've handled them before, and I've always thought that the quality was pretty high. Yeah. <clears throat> Yep, it's uh, I like them. Uh, the, as far as the grappling hook, um, that's another thing I really wanted when I was a kid was a grappling hook. Um, my parents yeah. wouldn't let me have one. Uh, ne- but next time you come up here, I'll uh, I'll show you. I have a big one and a small one. But they're, when I say big one and a small one, they're not like they're not made for you to self rescue or to rescue yourself. Uh-huh. Um, although I think you probably could use them for that. I don't know as I would, but. I guess if I was desperate, I might. You know, survival situations. A lot of times, you're in a desperate situation. So, I mean, it's like, would you use a would you use a piece of uh, uh, paracord to egress from the side of a building? No, that's forty foot in the air. No, no way. Okay, the building's on fire. You got yeah, no yeah. way then, down. Then yes, if I mean, if I was gonna <laughs> die if I didn't do it, then yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. And so just, you know, whether you survive the fall or uh, were able to get, you know, I guess that would be the difference from, let's say, if you were stuck at 40 foot in the air and you could get to 20 foot <laughs> before you fell, uh, would you do that? And, of course, you would. Yeah. You know, would you consider it? Sure, I would. If I was going to burn up in a building or get to get to the 20 foot mark and be able to jump from there, um I mean, I always laugh because there was a. I was working on a, a, a TV tower one time. Um, my two boys and my dad were actually there at the time, and a good friend of mine it was. A, it was a house that he owned, and we were taking the tower down for him, and it was attached to the house. And it was one of those old two-story homes, Victorian style, where it has a real steep peak roof. Uh huh. And it was attached at the peak of the roof, so I was standing at the peak of the roof. And I was taking the the screws out of the house, and little did I know that this tower had rotted off um, about six inches below the surface of the of the ground. Hmm. It was in the ground, cemented, and I thought it was just cemented in. It felt real solid, but it was attached to the house. That's why it was solid. So I climbed up the tower and I unhooked it from the house, and lo and behold, guess what happened? Uh, it started falling. And so I was probably 
at the start of it, I was probably 28 feet in the air. And by the time I jumped from the tower, it was uh, probably about 20 feet. Uh, so I didn't ride it all the way down. And uh, my kids, even to this day, still talk about it, how I hit the ground and jumped and rolled and popped up back up on my feet. And they were all like, wow. <laughs> hey, you know, that was a 20-foot jump. Yeah, you know, one of the wish- one of the first things you get taught uh, in judo is how to fall. And that's that's been like the best stuff, uh, the best thing that has saved me from broken bones and things like that is just learning how to fall and not get hurt. You know, it, yeah. what you describe fall. as rolling out of the fall, yep. it actually does work. Yep, falling gracefully. Yep. And uh, so we laughed. We laughed. We had a good laugh about that the other day. But um, like I said, you can jump from twenty feet and not get hurt. Uh, Thirty. It depends. Oh, that, yeah. Well, I was I was twenty feet in the air. I was probably more than twenty feet in the air. Yeah, but you, you have to know how to land, and you have to actually land right. So there is a lot of luck involved in that. But in yeah, in judo, the you know they started off just kind of teaching you how to fall, but then every day as part of our warm up they'd make us run and then dive and then land without yeah. getting hurt, you know, and yeah. you basically roll and roll um, over your shoulder and then back, you know, right. That's, that's what they kind of taught us to do. But uh, right. next email. Uh, okay. Oh, and I have, like I said, I have some of those little, they're small. Yeah. Little, uh, little grappling hooks. Cool. Okay, so the next email is from a fellow named Aaron, and he says, uh, Kyle and Jim, thank you for the great podcast, great stuff. I'm catching up on the podcast, I recently found it, and I'm listening from the start, Listen, and I started from the beginning, and I just listened to episode 78 regarding bird watching. said, you need to download the Quote, Merlin Bird ID app from Cornell Lab. Very cool app. I use this when I'm out with the Cub Scouts on hikes to identify birds that we observe. Thank you very much, Aaron. Cool. That was kind of cool. So uh, Merlin ID app. So then he responds right back again with, uh, guys, good afternoon. What's your opinion on 5160 versus 1095? Thanks for the great podcast, Aaron. I like them so, both. Yeah, yeah, I do too. Um, I think the 1095 must be more readily available because the lesser expensive uh, production knives tend to use it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they paint them black so they don't rust yep. uh, because they don't want to do what it takes to stop them from rusting, which is high polishing them. Yeah. Um, 5160, I think you'll find in a little more. Uh, a lot of a lot of bladesmiths will use that, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they tend to want to spend the extra time and high polish a blade so that it doesn't rust. Both of them will rust very quickly. Yep. If you're not if you're not careful, um, but they're both great blade steels. Uh, you're if you uh, you know 1095. Um, if you Buff it up, buff the finish up pretty nice, and you don't want to high polish it. I think it takes a pretty well, pretty good patina um, that can help protect the blade too. Yep, and so, uh, uh, I, that's that's how I've done. I have never 
up to this point made a stainless, quote, stainless knife. I've done all of my stuff in high carbon steel, and uh, it, it all has a tendency to rust. And to avoid that, I do what Jim is saying. I buff it um, first at 240, then at 320, then at 600, and then I do a uh, finishing buff that puts more or less a mirror finish on there. Yeah. And the thought is that um, the surface is so smooth that rust plumes don't get started, and if they do get started, they don't propagate. Yeah, they, they're very easy to take care of if you see one pop up. Yeah. But listen, a lot of the a lot of the lower end production knives from K Bar and from some other companies, um, Ontario, they use those knives and then they paint them. Yeah, they put some kind of coating on them so that they don't have to. They don't have to finish them well. Yep. Uh, they don't have to take the time to do it. They uh, the tool marks you know, are still there. If you take the coating off, a lot of times you you can see the tool marks. Um, yeah, yeah. Like however they did it, like either with yeah. a um, CNC machine yeah. or with a water jet well, or who knows. And they might and they might just finish them to, uh, you know, to two hundred grit. Yeah, if that. You know, it's, and and it's still quite rough. Yep. And when you when you take that uh, blade coat off, um, you know, you can you can see what you're getting. Yeah. And and so the paint covers a lot of evils. Yep. You know, uh, makes up for a lot. You know, and guys guys that buy those and go crazy over them and they never use them. Um, I guess it doesn't matter. Yep. You know, the the knife doesn't even need to be heat treated. Well, I guess. And it's one of, it's one <laughs> of the ways that you can. Uh, decrease your production costs if you're not adding polishing steps and if all you do is get it get it back from the thing put an edge on it and then send it off to be powder coated or however they're doing it you've just saved yep. a lot of labor yeah you know yep. so and that's their biggest that's their basic expense right so you can come in at a lower price point on a knife and have it you know have it be a decent <clears throat> knife for people um, yeah and you know what i say you are what you carry <laughs> well, you know, if you want to, you want to carry a freaking Mora knife, go ahead. We know. <laughs> well, there there are some good examples of knives at lower price points that um, that I have bought and used and really enjoyed. Um, the BK16 is one uh, Becker knife and tool. BK16 is at a lower price point, and I've really liked that knife. Uh, and there's others, but I, I'm not going to go into it. Next email. Uh, next email is from our friend Brian. Yep. And he said, uh, I would like to invite Jim to spend a year in Meth Town, USA. Come live with me in Grand Ledge. I think Kyle underestimates this entire state. <laughs> the pictures cannot do this little town justice. And uh, so then he sent me a boatload of pictures. Sweet. Well, okay, so I should address something. I was trolling Jim last thing. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it's, I, I came, grew up in a small town, have lived in small towns except for um, when I've lived in cities for training purposes, uh, and I prefer small town life. So, you know, you, you got you to gotta take some of that with a, with a grain of salt. I'm saying something to get a reaction out of somebody. Yeah. You know, so I'm going to say Grant. things that w are will get that reaction, even if I don't believe it. 
So. Yeah, Grand Grand Ledge is actually a nice little town. Yeah, you, when you get a when you get a chance and you start venturing out of your little area there, um, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's it's actually quite beautiful. Yep. Um, one one of the um one of the things if you want to get me going and it doesn't even take a lot, just talk about bike paths. <laughs> right. Well, I and I I'll know fucking to go that ballistic. <laughs> I'll go ballistic all over everything. Um, guess where. Guess where that listener is moving, though. Oh yeah, I know he's going. Yeah, I know he's moving to TC. <laughs> yeah. So did did he take a now? I guess I didn't get the rest of the story. Is he did he take a job there? I think he's or is he's he finishing school there? He's interviewing for one. Oh, for the fire department. Well, I, I, it's his story to tell. But I I did uh, have a text exchange with him like a week ago. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Uh. Next email. Um, that's it. Okay. That's, well, that's so it. that that is truly the end of any knife-related content. Uh, so um, you, we're not going to cover anything else knife-related, and it is the start of the political portion. So if you've listened up to this point and you don't want to hear it, <clears throat> awesome. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Okay, go. <laughs> ben what are we going to talk about? Okay, so so we watched the uh, um, the Iowa caucuses. You know, probably can speak to this more than I can. I have Actually, a video that I recorded from inside an Iowa caucus up on my ben, website. Ben Carson is actually in front of uh, in front of um, uh, Donald Trump. You know, in in, uh, in Iowa, it, the crazy th- and the crazy thing is, is that um, I if you if you watch this uh, video, they the way it worked in our town for the caucus was uh, they'd say, "Does anyone want to come up and say something about uh, candidate X?" You know, and then somebody will come up and uh, from their campaign and give like a little prepared remark or something like that. But if you have a minor town they might not have a representative in your particular town so um and sometimes depending on who the the person is organizing the caucus they may not even mention one of the candidates to ask if somebody wants to come up and talk about it you know so at my one they they didn't even mention uh newt gingrich as a candidate you know so nobody had the opportunity to say anything pro or con about him so you know the caucuses, um, as much as we would like to think that that's a uh, a definite um, representative, you know, like a democracy thing, it really, it really kind of isn't. If you don't have a choice, then it really doesn't make. Uh, I mean, it really doesn't make a difference, you know. And so, and the other thing is, is like to vote. It's not like they hand out a ballot and you go to a ballot booth and all this. They at ours and I have video of this, they literally handed out pieces of scrap paper and you wrote a name on there 
and then they passed a bag around. Those went into the thing, and then they dumped them out on a table and counted them. You know, I, I wondered about that's That's the straw and poll, I have, poll, right? No, that's the real Iowa caucus. And I yeah. have video to prove everything that I just said. Yeah, well, you know what? You know, what so that can wonder, be manipulated it, like you can't believe. And, and the people who are in charge of the Republican parties in, in pretty much every town in Iowa are establishment-type people. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I wondered how much, I mean, see, this is this is what, and in the grand scheme of things, I think that in the the establishment portion of the Republican Party is more liking to um, Ben Carson because of his Christian beliefs. And they still don't it, like him, though. Yeah, they don't, huh? No. But, but they, well, he's still winning. He's winning, but they, they don't like that he's winning. Yeah, because well, he's not be. he's not one of them, and he's yeah. you know well, that's... they want they want what the super wealthy donors want. Yeah, you know they well, don't. What's, what's which interesting is about this whole a bunch of other stuff? Exactly. It's and a, so it's and a so big I hot think... mess, but a, a bigger hot mess is just be thankful you're not in Europe right now, because oh. um and this is this is what I was talking. This is way more interesting to me than the whole um. United States immigration thing, which is why I would be interested in talking about it, is that you have ISIS that basically is going in and causing all this grief and people flee before them rather than stay and fight them. They're, they're fleeing before them. This has historical precedence. So uh, every time the Mongols or um, you know a barbarian tribe would go and start on, on the rampage, all those people would try to get into the Roman Empire, right? You know, and uh, it, the, the history of that is just absolutely fascinating. And if if people recall, um, way back when this ISIS thing start, first started happening, we talked about this, and I said this would happen. You know, I said that this is basically a Mongol invasion that is going to drive that that whole region batty. Like basically all of North Africa and the Middle East is gonna move to Europe. I just got offered a job, to go to freaking Nigeria. Nice. No, not nice. I'm huh. not gonna do it. Yeah, but, but I mean it's it's but that's still on the. I mean it's still like we're that's still happening. Yeah. You know this shit is is uh, we're. This is like the Crusades all over again. Well, it's it, it, even just just taking the religious aspect out of it because that that part frankly doesn't interest me. What interests me is you've got a bad actor uh, driving masses of people from where they have historically lived into a place where they historically have not, and watch what happens to Europe because of that. Yeah, you know the cultures are going to completely and <clears throat> totally change. Yeah, but. Yeah, but this this truly is just like the Crusades, the the opposite of the Crusades. No, it's different. Um, the the Crusades were army things. They weren't um, a tribe of barbarians driving people into uh, other lands. The the Crusades were like you know we'd go down and try to retake the Holy Land, and they would go and you know it's I, I don't I don't think that's a very good comparison. Yeah, you're right. Um, but uh, and I don't, you know, a lot of people try to but put people like are, evil but motivations people are on it. Yeah, but I think people are fleeing because of the religious aspect of it. I'd say they're. 
I'd say that maybe that plays a part in it, but I think a lot of people are trying to attach motivations to the people that are leaving, like they want to go and do a jihad in Europe. And I don't think that that's maybe well, some of I don't them. Know. But did I, you see the people that are leaving? Yeah, they're young. Saw, they're young men, which you know there will be people young that men say that look should, like soldiers. Yeah, they, they there are people that would say that they should stay, and they're all bitching that their wife and kid is still back in the country. Yeah, it's they like, left them behind. Yeah, it's like okay, well. You know, maybe um, maybe you should have stayed back there and fought off ISIS, you know, to protect well, your family rather than and just see, and tossing I, and them I'm, under the bus. And I'm looking at it because I'm such a prick. I'm looking at it like he's probably left his wife and family back there because he's going to – he's the forward movement that is going to fight in Europe. Well – The forward element again, that's invading. I, I don't necessarily think that that's a – that it that, that that's the motivation of the actual people fleeing. I, that may have been a motivation of ISIS was to drive those people and cr- create havoc in Europe. Like maybe that yeah. was the whole point of ISIS going there and cr- yeah. and making their lives so miserable was to drive them out and up into Europe and cause havoc that way. But I don't put the, those same motivations on the people that are that are actually fleeing oh. it. Okay, so so while I was never a fan of the way we prosecuted the war in Iraq. Um, I believe this is a direct result of Barack Obama's fucking it all up after the fact. Well, it was that's another very complicated thing that is some interesting history. But you know, like it was took, the status well, of example, forces agreement is why we left there, right? Yeah, because we didn't, we couldn't get along. We couldn't get one that we wanted because we never really well, tried it, that it's, hard. It's kind of a convenient thing, like uh, you know, you're looking for an excuse to break up with a girl, right? And anything will do, right? Exactly. You know, and that's and that's exactly what and we that's, had. But, that's kind. But of if you thing. look at what if you look at what's happened under this under this uh, fucking, I hate to even call him an administration because it's like the total lack of administering anything that's going on. We took a stable, a relatively stable dictator now because we put a, a, a missile under his into his tent um, years oh, ago, and he gave up. Yeah, and he yeah. gave up all of his he gave up all of his uh, desire to be um, uh, anti-American, and he actually became a pseudo ally of us during different different things that we were doing over there, and we chose to take him out. Um, yeah, who knows what the I, reasons and I, were And I hold Hillary, Hillary Cuntlips saying, uh, because he was a brutal dictator, uh, he were finally free of him. And it's like, okay, so what we did was we created a vacuum because we allowed him to be taken out. Now there's a vacuum there. Now we've got a total destabilization of Libya. We've got a total destabilization of almost every Middle Eastern country now. Mm-hmm. And and what do we and what do we have going on there now? We a stabilizing force of the Russians are now <laughs> going to stabilize the well, fucking if, Middle if East. If you remember uh, during during the last uh, presidential election cycle, uh, one of the Republican candidates was asked, uh, "Who do you think the biggest uh, threat to the world is?" And he said, "Russia." And yeah. Uh, Hillary Clinton and and the other ones chuckled and said, "Well, uh, 
the 1980s called and they want their worldview back. <laughs> and now just a few short years later, who was right yeah, and who was it. wrong, you know? Well, of course. And that's it. That's, that's, and so you go, so you look at the grand scheme of things. <clears throat> Remember a big picture. And you say, okay, obviously Hillary isn't an idiot. I mean, she's not retarded. No, and she's very, and by that he means that um, he had some bank line that the tar yeah. wore off. He sent it back to the fa- uh, factory and got it retarded. Okay. Yeah. You know what you know what I mean. Yeah, she's she's, she's actually fairly bright if you watch her. Yeah. Yep. And so you go, okay, so why is it that you and I being relatively uh, average kind of people, we we saw these things happening and coming. And yet somebody that's so brilliant that has all of this intelligence in front of them, that's all of the 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 uh, the brightest people in basically telling them that these things are a possibility or these things are never gonna happen. How the hell did they did this not did they not see this coming? Yeah, well How, why is it that we could see it coming and they couldn't see it coming? I don't know. Well, and then so um, they had the uh, Benghazi hearings. Oh yeah. And really, again, here's here's the thing about it. Okay, I give. To me, it's not. I don't think that uh, anything particularly nefarious was done by anyone in our country to get our ambassador killed. So I think we can take that off of the table. Um, it sucks that that he and and the other Americans died, um, but I I don't think you can assign a negative motivation to anyone in our government, even Obama or Hillary or whoever your favorite punching bag is. I don't think that you can say that they intentionally did that without some pretty good no. proof. No, right? but, but what but here's you can the thing. say here's the thing. the 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 key thing about this and the reason people care about it is that like the day after that happened, remember this happened on uh, September September 11th. 11th, uh, What was it? Uh, September 11th. What year was it? Was it, it might've even been 2011. 2011. Yeah. So it It was literally 30 days, less than 30 days before the next election. Right. So, and it was the anniversary of nine 11. Okay. And, and if, if people go back, um, and and think about it. They and here's the other thing: you you have to put all of this stuff into the historical context. If you don't have the historical context that it was literally the 10 year anniversary of the 9/11 attacks, and the historical context that Obama was being reelected and he was running on Osama bin Laden is dead and GM is alive and we haven't had any terror attacks. If you have that context, then the fact that they tried to cover that up and say it was, and now it's fact. We all know it's it's now part of the congressional record. It's an admitted thing that they concocted that story. Right. They made up this story about the video. And the thing is, is I remember I saw that. Um, I was watching CNN when that happened, and they had some guy on there that was clearly faking a Middle Eastern accent. He was like, oh my God, we are protesting because... I mean, it was literally that bad. You know, they had some guy that looked Middle Eastern (laughs) go on and say that on CNN. 
And might have even been Valerie Jarrett's brother. Right, but they had they had somebody go on and say that, and I'm like, okay, that's not how they talk. And number two, they don't have fucking YouTube. How are they right. going to have a protest over a YouTube video <laughs> when they don't fucking have it? You know, like, and so I called bullshit on day one. Yeah. And I called. Yep. It was actually one a friend of ours, Robert Young Pelton, posted a link to that video and says it sucks that people died because of this video. And I commented on there, you cannot possibly believe that that's the reason that, and I put, I laid out all of this stuff that I'm saying right now, historical context, that guy uh, that they quoted as saying that this, this is the cause of it, that he's not speaking correctly. They don't have YouTube. This is bullshit. And here's why. And I got, I got my ass jumped over that, you know, like people from, people were saying, oh, you're a conspiracy. No. No, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I just see things with open eyes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, and, and, you know, I wouldn't even talk about this except that I think it's historically important. Yeah. It's well, you know what? It's what's, elections what's, monkey business. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And you know, the other thing that's really, really fucked up about it, and they haven't, they haven't, they didn't address it in the, um, in the hearings and they, and I'm not sure why they didn't address it in the hearings, except for the fact that maybe it kind of goes against everybody's thought process about how things work. Um, let's say, theoretically, you have a problem and a, and you need to have it done right away, but the only person that can actually do it is you need to go into a foreign country with your military. And the only person that can actually do it is make that decision is the president. Um, makes he, he makes the call. The area commander has information that the president. The area commander has that knows it's something that's very urgent. He knows that that no president in their right mind would say, "No, you're not going to go get our people." And you know it. We're going to have like the uh, Iranian hostage thing again. Mm -hmm. So we need to send a rescue team in to get someone. Right. But it's we're, but it's very time sensitive. So do you think that an area commander is going to wait for permission before he gets the ball rolling, or is he going to get the ball rolling and contact and then ask the, permission while the ball is going? Well, yeah, while it's starting to roll. Because he knows that he's that no president in their right mind is going to say no, let our people die. And I suspect that that's that's the smoking gun. Somebody made the decision to say, turn those people around. Hmm. We're not giving you permission. And I and I think that that's where the smoking gun lies to me. Um, the other side of it was kind of interesting. Well, I don't. Even, I'm not even going to say that because the FBI didn't release this information yet, so I'm not going to say anything about that other comment where she went on the record saying Ambassador Stevens did not have my personal email account and never sent me an email on my personal email account and my server. Yeah. I think in the grand scheme of things. There's going to be some information that comes out that's going to say different. Right. And so now she's on the record saying that, and 
I think that um, Bernie Sanders might be the only choice for the Democrats to run. Well, the the fact that she is is running at all as is the amazing subject to me. of yeah, I just can't believe it. Like, would we would the Republican Party ever or any party ever put up a candidate that was currently under criminal well, investigation at, by the F- look what, FBI? Look what happened. Look what happened uh, when when Obama was running. You had the the um, the Walmart kid. What was his name? The attorney hmm. that had an affair and freaking dropped out. Yeah, had a had a love child or some shit. Yeah. Uh, what the hell was his name? Oh, I don't I don't remember. But yeah, I mean, I cannot believe that she is a major candidate and that people are Look. even considering voting for somebody who's under under criminal investigation except yeah when was the last time when was the last time you were under criminal investigation never never how many people do you know that you call friends that have ever been under criminal investigation zero especially by the fbi fucking fbi yeah you think that that's like small potato somebody's this is obama's fbi yeah this isn't fucking uh, a, a republican witch hunt no, you know, going after well, a Democrat. But, but but then here's the thing: the FBI can do an investigation, gather the evidence, and recommend charges. It is not their decision whether to prosecute or not. Right. So they can have all of the evidence and all of that, and if somebody says we're not prosecuting, it goes away. Yep. You know that's yep. that's the thing that that people forget about it, but. Anyway, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting how it all plays out. I I um uh, I for one know that President Nixon erased fifteen minutes of tape, or was it eighteen? There was eighteen minutes of tape, whatever the fuck it was. Yeah. eighteen, fifteen. Who cares? Fifteen minutes of of his office tape he erased because there was a conversation that said we're not going to talk about this. I mean, to that extent, that's what it was about. Yeah. We're not going to we're not going to talk about this. And he was impeached and shamed into leaving office, resigning, resigning office because of this, because fear of impeachment. Yep. Here you've got FBI investigations. You've got tons of investigations of wrongdoings from Bill and Hillary and and money that's changed hands and selling uh you know, quid pro quo, uh, foreign donors to political foreign campaigns. donors to yeah, and you got nobody gives a shit. Yeah. What the hell? They just don't care because they want their collectivism. That's what it is. What happened to us? <laughs> what has happened to us? I don't know. You'd think that in the age of information, people would be smarter. They're dumber. <laughs> they're really they're. I I don't I can't understand it. I cannot believe. That we have that level of incompetence in in the White House and in you know I <clears throat> I heard a a, 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 a commander a, actually he was a colonel talking about people from the White House contacting them like White House staffers contacting them wanting to know what's going on with this or what's going on with that and you're and we're like what the fuck are you yeah. That you should even call me. Hmm. You know? I mean, they're not talking to the area commanders. They're not not talking to the Secretary of Defense. They're fucking calling some colonel in the field. 
going, hey, what's going on with this? Like, what the fuck? Fuck you, shut up! Yeah, I'm busy right now. I'm busy right now. I don't I don't have time for this, you fucking dweeb. Yeah. <laughs> fucking, if you want to know what's going on over here, why don't you fucking put a uniform on and come over here and look? Yeah. You know, fucking join the army. <laughs> Uncle Sam wants you. Yeah, exactly. What the fuck is going on? Anyway. Oh, my God. Yeah, Crazy. now he's all fired up. Uh, yeah, so no. that, that should conclude... Our political rants. I have to go out and organize my garage for winter. My bird feeders yep. need filled. Yep, yep, yep. Well, after the debacle, we're still at uh, 145. Yeah, good enough. So, all right. So, uh, check us out on Facebook. Um, you can friend Kyle or I. We're pretty easy to find. Uh, like Knife Journal Podcast on Facebook. Friend us on uh you know, come to the website. Um, I'm in the process of revamping some stuff on Knife Journal. Some cool stuff coming down the road uh, on the website um, involving uh, some various writers and stuff. So that'll be kind of fun. Yep. Um, and uh, I don't know. You got anything else? Nope. So, guys, keep your knives sharp and your friends sharper. And uh, go outside and play. Go outside and play and have fun. Yep. Talk to you soon. Yep. Bye. Bye.